The road we're on is paved in Garth. Come along on the journey. As we explore Garthology. Think of it more as a conversation. I like that. So if this is truly a conversation, then I say let the conversation begin. Hey guys, it's Deb. And I'm Pete. And I'm Deb here again. (laughs) Sorry guys. (laughs) Normally, this is where Jess would jump in and introduce herself. But unfortunately, Jess has had a family emergency and is still not able to record with us right now. And with my upcoming trip, we really needed to get some episodes recorded before I leave. So it leaves us short one host. And as I've said before, We've decided that Garthology just isn't Garthology without one of the three of us. So we didn't want to record any whole new episodes, but we still wanted to give y'all some fresh content. So we're going to hit replay on a previous episode, but then Pete and I will come back and chat about that episode. We'll add some additional thoughts, and we'll see if we feel the same way as we did when we first recorded it. Plus, we'll include some new shoutouts to some of our very favorite Garthologists. And like we've said before, we hope that you all will stick around and listen through the episode again, and as well as our new thoughts and shoutouts on the episodes that we'll recap. We have episodes coming very soon. But for now, we're excited to share these new thoughts with you. We've really missed our Garthologist in talking to each other about Garth. Plus, if you could all send up some prayers and good wishes for Jess and her family, that would be truly a blessing. Jess, we're really thinking about you and your family. So let's get started on this refresh. For today's episode of Garthology, Season 2, Episode 14, we're going to look back at Season 1, Episode 7, our review of the last five songs on Garth's second album, No Fences. Let's go. Hi guys, it's Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. Welcome back everyone to Garthology Episode 7. Today, we are going to finish talking about No Fences, which is Garth Brooks's second studio album. So we will do songs six through 10 on this one. If you haven't listened to episode six yet, go back and do that. You'll hear songs one through five. Now we will go to Pete, who will talk about song number six. Yes, yes. Song number six is Wild Horses. But tonight I saddled up and let her down Wild horses keep dragging me away And I'll lose more than I'm gonna win someday Wild Horses was released off the No Fences album as the sixth song, written by Bill Shore and David Wills. Wild Horses was released as a single in November of 2000, where it peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot Country single. Trisha Yearwood sang background vocals on the song, and we have talked about it many times. Alan Reynolds knew that the buzz between Garth and Trisha would be perfect for the song. Alan always called the sound of music that Garth and Trisha made together the buzz. So going forward, if we reference the buzz, that is Garth and Trisha singing together. The song is about a cowboy struggle between the rodeo and his love for a woman. The lyrics indicate that he keeps making her a promise and breaking that promise that he will quit writing. Hence the lyrics, wild horses keep dragging him away. While doing research on the song, I found that others could also take the song as a man who is repeatedly unfaithful and always forgiven but knows the forgiveness is going to end. Hence the lyrics, the way I love the rodeo, I guess I should let her go before I hurt her more than she loves me. And that goes back to that story we always talk about on how Garth's lyrics with his music and his songs can always change the difference between the song going one way and another. So I thought, well, let's go back and listen to that song thinking about it that way. And it actually makes really, really good sense. I thought that that was, um, Pretty cool to kind of compare the two of them. And then while listening to the song, 
it's not a song that comes up on the playlist a lot. Man, what a great song. It really, really is a super, super good, like, country style, I guess. Like, not really a love song, but it's a more of a relationship style song. And I thought it was really, really cool. I, I enjoy that song so much. Do you guys have anything with the lyrics about it? I did, actually. I also took note of Trisha in the anthology talking about how well their voices blend, which it surprises me. I mean, we, the three of us, talk about that a lot. But it was the first time that I'd read that one of them acknowledged how much they harmonize so well together, how well their voices blend. So like you said, the buzz, that stood out to me as well. I really like them on this song together. And then also the same thing for me on that line, I guess I should let her go before I hurt her more than she loves me, which I think that's an interesting concept because letting her go means breaking up and her stopping loving him. It's like the idea of her no longer loving him was more hurtful to him than them actually breaking up. So I thought that was an interesting way to look at it that you would rather have this person love you still, even if you're not together, than to just no longer love you. Yeah, there was another good line in there where he says, I'll lose more than I'm going to win someday. Because he keeps talking about, because it goes back and forth between like literal wild horses, like the horses of the rodeo, and then like wild horses couldn't drag me away, kind of the proverbial horse. So when he says, I'll lose more than I'm going to win someday, It's talking about the relationship and then also kind of the more than he would win in the rodeo or more than he would win if you looked at it as like a cheating song than with another woman. Right. He's going to lose the love of this woman that he's with. And then did you guys see, because I know we use the anthology book a lot going back and forth between internet research and that, there was a quote in there from Garth and he talked about Trisha and the way that they harmonize and he said, as much as the players that played it, she was the Garth Brooks sound. Yeah. And I really loved that and never heard him like address it in that way. But I was like, we've talked about even before and I, I couldn't tell you what song it was now, but that when it hit the harmonies, I was like, whatever song it was, I was like, oh, there's the Garth sound. And I didn't really think about it being them, just a harmony that he used. But it really is like to a certain degree, she is part of the Garth Brooks sound. And I had never thought about it that way, but I thought it was really cool. Right. It makes total sense. She is a part of what we all know as the Garth Brooks sound. Yeah. As much as, you know, Garth or Jimmy on the fiddle or Dave on the keys or whatever from the beginning almost. And I think that that goes back to a lot of the song, like how many actual songs that she does background vocals on. And then, you know, that over the years has turned into different duets between the two of them. And it is, it's a, she is a staple of Garth's song. Yeah. It'd be interesting, although I don't know that I really care to hear what the songs would be like if it was with another background vocalist other than <laughs> Trisha, but it would be interesting how it would change the song. Yeah. All right, so that'll do it for that song, and we will pass it over to Jess for song number seven. All right, guys, song number seven is Unanswered Prayers. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers Remember when you're talking To the man upstairs And just because he doesn't answer Doesn't mean he don't care The song was by Pat Alger, Larry Bastian, and Garth Brooks. So songwriters that we've talked about before and that Garth has used before. And Deb has talked about, you know, he has this well of artists that he pulls from. And these are a couple that he's clearly been able to work with a few times. Pat Alger, like we had talked about before, worked on what she's doing now, The Thunder Rolls, and that summer. And he actually also recorded his own version of Unanswered Prayers. And Larry Bastian wrote Cowboy Bill and Nobody Gets Off in This Town. So Unanswered Prayers was released October 12th of 1990 as the second single off of No Fences. It reached number one on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart in 1991. And then later, it was also on the hits, the limited series, Double Live, and the ultimate hits. I did not know this, but also it inspired a 2010 Lifetime movie. 
starring Eric Close and Samantha Mathis. So it, it sparked <laughs> its own film. I don't know how easy that would be to find, but I would be kind of interested to see it. And coincidentally, this was just somewhere that my brain went because I'm a big Sandra Bullock fan. And so when I read the Lifetime movie with Samantha Mathis, I was like, well, Samantha Mathis was also in 1993 in a little known movie called The Thing Called Love with Sandra Bullock. But why that was interesting is because Miss Trisha had a role in that movie as herself, a cameo. So that was like a weird connection with Samantha Mathis. If you're playing like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever that game is called, <laughs> just connecting people because that's the way my brain works. Um, but just doing some research on the song, I think that this came from the anthology book, but Garth and Pat Alger had pretty much finished the song and then they couldn't figure out the hook, though. They had the whole rest of the story and they didn't really have a chorus or something to tie it all together. And Garth was walking along with Larry in Nashville. And he said that basically Larry just spits out the hook and he was like, well, that's easy. It's unanswered prayers. And Garth was like, okay, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you're going to find that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And Garth was like, well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, it is. It's unanswered prayers. He was absolutely right. So he had a songwriting credit because he came up with the hook for the song and kind of tied it all together. And the way Garth explained it was he said he had the story And Pat turned it into this epic poem or like a little movie. And then Larry turned it into a song and tied it all together. So I thought that was a cool little story about that song. And Garth also said that this is the only song that he's ever had this happen. But when he and Pat played this song at the Bluebird, the audience gave them a standing ovation in the middle of the song after they sang the chorus for the first time before the song was even finished. The crowd was standing up, which... I don't remember the first time I heard this song because I was pretty young when it came out, but I can imagine that if you were hearing it live and knowing it was a new song, I could I could just understand that response getting through that chorus and being like, this is this is something special for sure. Because I mean, how many times in your life have you prayed for something or or if you're not praying people, have you hoped for something or, you know, and then it didn't come true and now you're so grateful that it didn't or the opposite, you know? I think anybody, that's just such a human thing. Anybody can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you guys have anything? I know that you've heard the song and you know it, but did you have anything you wanted to add about this one? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to like you were saying, you know, about those times in life where you sit back and you have a prayer that, you know, you may make about something like you were just talking about and it doesn't come true. And, you know, maybe the ultimate outcome at that point is better than had it been if that prayer was answered. But I, I do. I absolutely love the song. The lyrics and everything that the song stands for, to me, is it's one of my absolute favorite songs of all times. It's it's so so good. It's great live too. It's so good live. Every single person gets into that song. I mean, with many others, but that's one of the ones that stand out to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how in the anthology Garth talks about that. It's actually a fragment of a true story for him. Like you talked about, Jess, that he had this part of a story mm-hmm. and then it built on from there. And his fragment of it was being with his wife, his first wife, Sandy, and seeing someone from a past relationship and realizing that, you know, he's happier now than he would have been had he stayed in that other relationship. So I love how it builds on a story that, you know, a songwriter can just give this little piece of information and then it can just go from there and it can become this entire story, like something they can write a movie on. Yeah. That's unbelievable to me that something creative can be come out of something so small and end up being so big. That really touches me. That makes me think, you know, we all have this small part to play in this world and we all come and go, but to leave something lasting that started out as nothing, you built it up, somebody else added to it, and then it becomes this great and wonderful thing. I just love the thought of that. Yeah. Okay. So I think that that's all on that song. So we'll move on to song number eight and Deb has that one. Yes, I do have song number eight, and it is Same Old Story. Go. 
The song Same Old Story was not released as a single, so it just came out with the album in August of 1990. It was written by Tony Arada, who we've discussed on previous podcasts. We are big fans of his. But to give you a little more background on him, he actually released his own album, which he teases that even MCA didn't know about it, and they were the company that released it. One of the things that Tony Arata really likes about Garth is that Garth believes in the album format. So in other words, he thinks about an entire album. He doesn't just look at what's going to be a good single or I need to have five singles and, you know, two radio songs. And he actually looks at from the beginning of an album to the end of an album and he figures out what songs are going to fit in there. And so he felt like this song, The Same Old Story, really fit into this part of the album. So looking at the lyrics for this, for me, this has just always been a song about a couple that was drifting apart. And now I see it totally differently. So this analysis made me realize the song starts out talking about a woman that loves her man more than he loves her while he's dreaming of another. And then it talks about a different relationship because it's one where the man loves the woman more, but she only hears the highway and a voice in some other town. So suddenly, kind of like I talked about before, I suddenly had like a little movie playing in my head. I've decided that the man in the first verse is actually in love with the woman from the second and the third verse. And so these four people are actually linked, that the man is thinking about the other woman And the woman is thinking about the end. They're just all linked in my head now. And so now whenever I hear that song, that's the little movie that's going to play in my head. So it's the same old story of losing someone. But to me, I put a whole other twist on it. So what did you guys think of it? I actually was on the same path of the lyrics of the song and the story that I had until you just introduced what you think now. And now I'm not exactly sure what to think at all, because you're right. The lyrics could take (laughs) four people from four different area codes and somehow all interacted (laughs) to this one same story. But originally, what another love song, like you said, where two people one was one was wanting to go one way and felt that the other was drifting off differently in it. Um, It wasn't a song I was very familiar with. Obviously, listening to it quite a bit uh, over this last couple of weeks while doing the research. I definitely do enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I think that the lyrics, again, we say it all the time, and I don't want to keep repeating it, but it does go back to how the lyrics could go one way, and then you look at it from a different person's uh, point of view, and it could be a completely different story, but another real good storytelling song for sure. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why, but it reminds me of a movie montage of like, sad Christmas time. Like, I don't know, you know, like in rom-coms, it's like they're both devastated and <laughs> doing their own, I don't know, whatever they're doing. And it's just showing them alone. Too. Like, that's what this song sounds like to me. And I don't know if it's like the electric piano, like the keyboard in the background. It's like a very 80s, 90s sound, which is not bad. Like, I loved it. It's very, it's kind of nostalgic to me. But I don't know. It just had a soundtrack vibe. That's all I could think when I was listening to it is that it should have been playing over some part of a movie. So we both had movies in our head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to go over to Pete for song number nine. Yep. Song number nine off the No Fences album is Mr. Blue. So if you decide to call on me, ask for Mr. Blue I'm Mr. Blue When you say you love me Then prove it by going out 
love is untrue Call me Mr. Blue Mr. Blue was written by Dwayne Blackwell and was originally released by the Fleetwoods. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100s in November of 1959. Mr. Blue has been covered and released on albums by nine different musicians and or bands, including Garth Brooks. One of those nine is none other than Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan and the band recorded the song in 1967 and just as recent as 2014, they released it on the Bootleg Series Volume 11, The Basement Tapes Are Complete. Doing the research on it, Dwayne and Garth got to talking, and Dwayne couldn't believe that Garth loved the song. Dwayne was like, I can't believe that you love the song. I didn't even think that you would know it. So Garth had mentioned to him, uh, living in a house, being the youngest of six kids with all kinds of different music influences, that song was played a lot. And to prove it to him, Garth sang the song to him, which completely surprised Dwayne when he did that. Garth always talks about playing in Oklahoma and that in order to play in Oklahoma and to get called back, you'd have to pack the dance floor. This was a song, one that you could swing dance to, and it was always one that filled the floors. So Garth mentions in the anthology that when they would play in the small places around Oklahoma, they'd bring the song, they'd sing it, and it would fill the dance floors for sure. To me, it's a very, very sad country song, but very country. It's about a guy who wants a girl and she wants the complete opposite. And that makes him feel blue. Listening to the lyrics, when you talk about somebody feeling blue, it's somebody who's maybe depressed, down in the dumps, not really feeling all their best. And then a lot of times you hear people talk, well, let's go out and paint the town red. Some of my favorite lyrics to it one verse is when Garth sings, when you paint the town a bright red to turn it upside down, I'm painting it too, but I'm painting it blue. I'm like, oh man, how sad is that? And the lyrics just over and over and over again, all refer back to how happy the woman is, but yet how blue, depressed and sad the guy is. So I think it's fantastically, it's just a fantastic well-written song and I couldn't believe how many different people had recorded and released it so I went on YouTube because that's the greatest thing to be able to find some of these different people the way that the song changes in sound with vocals too but the different instruments that they play there's a lot of progression in that song from when it originally came out and then obviously until Garth had sang it but very 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 country very sad song in my opinion so that's what I got on. So you guys have any, any input on the lyrics or about the song? One of the things I like about it, um, it mentions in the anthology also that Garth likes to include a cowboy song on his albums. So something talking about, you know, something to do with a cowboy life. And then he also likes to include a swing tune on every album. And that's what this song represented for that album. I like that he thinks about, again, like what Tony Arata says, he thinks about the whole album. You know, he's not just picking and choosing songs at random and and just splatting something out there. He really thinks about the things that he's putting together and the order that he's putting them in. And so that gives me an appreciation for this song. It's not typically a song that I would go out of my way to listen to or have on my playlist, but I like that he gave it a place you know, and, and understanding him better for these words that people talk about him and give examples of things that he's done, I can see the place where that this song has on this album. It's interesting that you said that, that it's the swing song and not necessarily the country song, because in my notes I have, it's an old feel, but not especially country. And I hadn't looked up, like I didn't know that that was the place that it was supposed to take, but it, it really doesn't have a country sound. And in fact, at the the intro of the song, to me, sound uh, like I listened to it and I didn't really know this song. So it was kind of listening to it fresh. And I was like, that really, really sounds like Sorry, Sorry Night. And I don't know that song, which is actually called Vincent. And I don't know that song, but I know Garth's wind show and him doing Sorry, Sorry Night and doing the little intro. And so then I went and listened to the Don McLean version 
of the song like that he was singing and it really does sound like the intro to that song and even just like the pitch of his voice in it until the chorus and then it completely changes sounds and is almost like a different song and then it's a very kind of 50s not like sock hoppy sound but a very 50s sound after that but yeah, it was funny when I was listening to you and as soon as you were like, it, it you know, wasn't really the country. And I was like, no, it was not. It was not a very country <laughs> song. But it is good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And it was another one that I didn't really know before. So this got me to listen to something that I would have probably just passed over and missed out on. It's kind of funny. I was listening to it and like looking over the lyrics on the Amazon music. And when you swipe up on the Amazon music lyrics, they'll play them in blue. <laughs> and you're listening to oh. Mr. Blue. Hey, I'm looking at my phone like, what? it's a completely different story behind it. But yeah, so uh, a lot of cool information out of that song. And with that, we will pass it over to Jess for song number 10. Song number 10 is Wolves. Oh, I don't mean to be complaining, Lord. You've always seen me through. And I know you got your reasons for each and everything you do. But tonight outside my window, there's a lonesome morning voice. Song 10 is Wolves, and it's written by Stephanie Davis. This song, I was actually very excited to have this one because we talked about that Garth kind of puts his babies at the end of the record, and I hadn't really ever thought about it until this one, so I was going into it like, okay. And I don't really know this one very well, so I was excited to listen to it, and it didn't disappoint me. I actually really like this song. It was not a single, and Stephanie Davis She's a, a writer who's written for Waylon Jennings, Martina McBride. She's had five studio albums and four self-released of her own. And Garth had enough faith in her that he actually signed her on as his opening act in 1993. And she joined the road band. So I think she must have followed Trisha or maybe maybe Martina McBride followed Trisha and then she followed her. But shortly after, in 93, she took over as the opening act. And she was there at Croke Park in Dublin and at Central Park in New York. Uh, she wrote other songs for Garth. She co-wrote The Gift and We Shall Be Free, Learning to Live Again, which I love that song, and The Night Will Only Know. So she wrote several songs for Garth. This song, it, it starts off talking about literal wolves, like bringing in the cattle and thinking about the wolves that have taken down the, the vulnerable cattle. And then it transitions into like the proverbial wolf at the door, like the, the bank taking in you know, farmers and people who are struggling. And the song was, it made me really emotional. Like I was, I was tearing up listening to the song and I don't remember ever really listening to it before. And probably that's why, because if I played it and it, it made me sad, I probably just skipped over it after that and didn't listen to it anymore. And it is a really good song, but it packs an emotional punch. It reminded me actually of growing up in the 80s and 90s and watching, do you guys remember the Farm Aid concerts? Yeah. Because they, they were doing all the support then for, like, it was a big deal here because in Oklahoma, we obviously have a lot of farming, more so where Garth grew up than, than where I am in the eastern part of the state. But in California, too, especially up north, you guys have a lot of farmers there. So I know at that time, they were really struggling. A lot of people were losing their their homes. And um, and so this song touched on that and it made me think of the, all those those shows growing up where they were trying to save some of those people and keep them in their homes. And so this song came to Garth in 1988 and he and Randy Taylor, who wrote Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old, were throwing darts at a place called Douglas Corner. And Stephanie Davis is from Montana. So in the anthology, he talks about there's this little girl from Montana and she comes up on the stage and she's playing the song Wolves and she says Willie Nelson has the song on hold. But Garth just kind of gravitated toward the stage while she was singing it. And 
to the degree that at the end of it, he said he felt embarrassed because he was standing like a couple of feet away from her, like holding his dart, just staring at her. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end, he told her, you know, like if he if Willie Nelson doesn't cut this song, we're working on my album right now, like I would do it. And of course, later, Willie Nelson did not cut the song and Garth did. And so Stephanie in the anthology talks about when she got the call from Garth saying it was like late at night and he was like, hey, we finished it. Do you want to hear the song? And so he played it for her and she said she just cried hearing it from his point of view because it was a song that to her, she almost threw it or she did throw it away actually because she was like, it's she hadn't had any luck for a while. She knew it wasn't what Nashville was looking for and her boyfriend actually took it out of the trash and she finished writing the song. And so for her to hear it from his perspective and to see it turn into something was a, a life lesson and that sometimes you have to struggle through and really do the things that are important to you and that you believe in, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And so she did all of that. But what really what I took away from it more from the, than even from the song was that because the song was about, you know, the wolves at the door and the people losing the their farms and their homes and she had grown up knowing that her grandparents had had to sell off their farm in the 40s after they raised their kids and worked so hard for the land, they just couldn't keep it. And so she had always daydreamed of buying that land someday and having it back in her family. And when she got those royalty checks from wolves, you know, what was to her a, a substantial amount of money, she had her dad go looking for land and she ended up buying a little piece of land there near her grandparents' farm in Montana, which I thought brought it full circle. And and even though it was kind of a sad song, it made it a happy ending and in the yeah. real world. So where it was even more important, but I really loved it, even though I, I probably won't have it on my playlist because it does make me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know this one already? I didn't know the song and I didn't know the story until I also read it in the anthology and the story of her grandparents farm and then her ultimately buying land near it. Oh my gosh, that just made my heart so happy Right, that the song itself, like you said, it's super sad and it makes me think about depressions and recessions and all those terrible things that hurt so many people and so many people in middle America that are running these farms and they're working day and night doing these things. And it's a thankless job and it's hard. And as they get older, it gets harder. And so, thinking of all that, when I think of it from that perspective, I get so sad. But when I think of what ultimately this song that, like you said, she threw in the trash, what it ultimately brought back for her, I, it just lightens my heart to think about it from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely, um, yeah, obviously I can say the same thing, but going back to the, you know, middle of America farms and, and these farmers, people who have to keep these farms going, it takes me like, you think, you know, you get produce and you get this and you get that. And to us, right. We just go to the store and we get it. We don't think about how hard it is to make it happen. And then you listen to a song like this, you do research on a song like this, where you figure out how hard it really is for them. And then you think about other country songs, you know, Al Dean's got a couple where, you know, they pray for rain, you know, and things like that. Like those are things that are out of their control in order to be able to keep those farms going. They can't control Mother Nature and rain. And then to think about these wolves just showing up at the door after busting their tail to make these, you know, this a life and, and to raise a family on it and taking it from them. It is a very, very sad song. Not one I was very, very familiar with. I don't know that it. I could see how it's a very sad song. It didn't make me sad enough not to listen to it. But, you know, it, it tells another, it's a different type of, of story that Garth could tell. So I, I thought the song was great. And like you guys went back to, ultimately at the end, what the song was able to do for her and, and the property next to her grandparents in Montana. And it was pretty cool, pretty cool ending. So, yeah, great song. And you know, it means a lot to Garth, like you mentioned, when he puts it at the end of the album. Yeah. I had that written down. The fact that it's his last song on this album, that means a lot to him. Yeah. So that makes me love it too. Okay. Well, that wraps us up for the last five songs of Garth's second album, No Fences. Hey guys, Deb and Pete back here in the present. So 
What did you guys think of that episode? I love this album. I love so many of the songs on this album, including the first one, Wild Horses. What do you think about that one, Pete? You know, I had mentioned in the past episode reviewing this song that it tells two stories. While listening to it for this episode, it really does tell two stories, depending on which way you look at it. Another thing we mentioned on the past episode, we talk about that buzz between Garth and Trisha. This song really, really highlights that, I think. It's a very country song. It's one that I mentioned before that I really, really enjoyed. And now it's so nice to be able to go back and review these songs because they're not ones that come up on the playlist and it just makes you fall in love with them all over again. Yeah, I agree. This isn't one that I listen to often and it's such a great song. And one of the things that struck me in listening to this previous episode is, you know, sometimes we end up skipping over some of the things that are mentioned when we're recording because we get, we just get to talking and sometimes sure. we miss talking about some of the information that one of the other of us presents. So what struck me this time was the fact that this album came out in 1990, but Wild Horses didn't get released as a single until November of 2000, which was 10 years later. Holy moly. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. The song came out 10 years, was released as a single 10 years after the album. And it turns out, because then I looked into it, it turns out that the single that was released in 2000 was actually a re-recorded vocal of this song. It wasn't the original album release. So I thought that but was really Garth, interesting. Just, yeah. Just 10 years just later. Just 10 years later. So wow. yeah, I didn't, it wasn't until, because something you had said in it about the fact that it was released in November of 2000 that I kind of went, well, the album was in 1990. And so then I just had to look into it. But yeah, it was a re-recorded version of this song by Garth. You know, I did the like I did the the research on it, and I guess they're just trying to get so much good research and, and information out there. I guess the dates just didn't even even pop up to me. We mentioned it last time, and how we talk so much about Trisha's background vocals mm-hmm. with Garth, and I know in this one, Jess had pointed out in the the original episode how. Trisha is part of the Garth sound and that in this song, that's where that came from. And it's so true. I mean, we do talk a lot about her background vocals and the way that she carries a song and and how good her and Garth sound with one another. But it's right. Trisha is such an important sound of that, of the Garth sound. Yeah. Like Jess said, it's like Jimmy on the fiddle or Palmer on the drums or, you know, that's. Dan on the ivories. Yeah. It's all part of what we call the Garth sound. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing, you know, Garth always talks about how many of these people that are still with him today were with him from the original get-go. And you you wonder, like, do they work that well with each other? Obviously. And they've all now just become part of the Garth sound. Like, if you were to throw somebody in that maybe hasn't been doing it as long as some of these other guys, because, you know, the last uh, return tour that he did, Garcia was not with Garth, but he was part of Trisha's deal. You know, obviously, so they had good chemistry, but you wonder if you throw somebody in, would that person be part of that Garth sound? Right. It's uh, a great thing that she had pointed out. Okay. So the second song that we recorded for this podcast was Unanswered Prayers. What oh. a great song. I mean, this is a true fan favorite. Yeah. Like I've run some polls on our social sites and this one always gets a high vote count. And it, I think it always will. It's just, it's Garth. It's the epitome of Garth. And I love a quote from him that I found about this song. He said, man, unanswered prayers was a big part of my heart that went out on this record. Mm. I love that quote. Yeah. Like, you know, summed up a, a bunch of what came out of him on it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of Garth songs that I love. There's a couple that I'll actually get the goosebumps or the hair on my arms to stand up. And this has always been one of them. Always has been, probably always will be. You had brought up a mention that, you know, it was a fragment of a true story for Garth about Sandy, his ex-wife. And I love how we hear so many things in life that actually could turn into an entire song or a movie like we had discussed that Jess had brought up. 
it makes me wonder what or how in my life could be sung in a song or written in a story. And like, what would it be? You know, like, like we all have something like that in our lives, right? There's some part of our life at some point that could be a song or, or a movie. But when you had brought up the fragment of Garth being a true story, I thought that that was great. And the way that they came up with the, the title track to the song, you know, yeah. Unanswered Prayers, that was a great story. Yeah, that was a great story. And another thing, and that kind of ties into like what you said about how a little piece of his life ended up blossoming into this song. He also said about this song is, this is probably the truest song I have ever been involved with as a writer. And I think that ties it all together. Like it's part of his heart. And he, you know, felt like this was really a true part of him as far as a songwriter goes too. Dang. Yeah. That's, yeah, like that's heavy. I mean, that gives this this song, with sayings and quotes like that, this will always be one of those that is near and dear to Garth, right? I mean, because like this song is... And in the in the live shows, like who doesn't know the song? Who doesn't get on edge for the song? Yeah, and I think Garth loves this song as much as his fans do. And the the way that we sing it back to him, like, could you imagine being that guy in the middle of that stage? Just you know, and he's got so many of them, but this has got to be one that's got to be special. Yeah, you know, up there with the river and right. and things like that. Yeah, knowing that part of your life turned into this creative thing that now has touched so many other people that they then sure. sing it back to you while you're in a concert singing to thousands of fans. I mean, that is just, right. that's some matrixy kind of like yeah, crazy yeah. stuff inside your head when you think of it that way. Sure. And then opening up enough to make, you know, to say quotes is, you know, big, this is like the biggest piece of his heart on this album and stuff like that. Garth fans have to know. I mean, he's got to know that us fans know that there are quotes like that that are out there and what that means to him, what the song means to us. It's got to, that's definitely got to move him for sure. Yeah, I agree. Got a good one there. Yep. All right. Let's go on to same old story. So I have to say I made myself laugh in re-listening to my explanation about this song, because yeah, even still today, I can totally see how these four people can be interconnected. And this man is married to this woman, but thinking about that woman and that woman who's married to the first man is thinking about the other one's husband. Like I just, it's confusing, but I play it as a whole movie in my head. Hey, listen, I'm going to repeat what I said in the first one. I had an idea. Now you've got four different people from four different area codes, and I have no clue what this story means. <laughs> I mentioned it was a song I wasn't very familiar with, but I did enjoy it, though. I do enjoy the song. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know what it means. <laughs> I, I, I still can't see the story or the movie, whatever it was that you were talking about. I'm lost. <laughs> I totally see it. It's an entire movie in my head. And I know that's an, this is another one, especially on Twitter. I've had people say, how this is, you know, one of their favorite songs. They love this song. Yeah, there's a there's definitely an audience out there for this song. Um, when I was doing research, I think it was today on it, somebody had come up and answered. I saw it came over on the Twitter that this was one of their favorite ones, and I was like, oh, what a trip! But yeah, I uh, like I said, I I enjoy the song, and when I hear it, I listen to it. I'm not 100 percent sure of the story, but because I enjoy it, I always want to give the song another chance. So. Uh, yeah, just one that I, I, I did enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, I saw that notification on Twitter, too. It was Twitter user Jamie. She's yes. the one that said that this was her favorite. She loves same old story. Yeah, And it came over this afternoon, right? It was today, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to Mr. Blue. What did you think of Mr. Blue the second time around? Okay. So I went back and listened to us recap it again. And you and Jess touched on how old school like swing sound this song is. And I have to agree. It wasn't wasn't one of my favorite ones by Garth because maybe it just wasn't country enough for me. But it's obviously a song that's been very successful. It was released and recorded by like nine other people or something that I had mentioned in the original review and, and research on it. But it does. It seems like more of like a jazzy, handsy type song to me or whatever. But yeah, it wasn't one of my favorites, but still a good song and, and performed, you know, well by Garth, I thought. I mean, it, yeah. I just, um, 
I like how you guys have pointed out where it belongs on the album, you know, how it gets in there, the story behind it. So that makes a little more sense to me, but not one of my favorites. You know, it's funny because for me, this song gets stuck in my head. Really? This is the song that after I'm done listening to the album, this is the chorus that's going through my head. It's just stuck there. And it's not even my favorite song on the album, but this, it's something about I don't know, the the chorus is just really catchy and it's what my brain latches onto. And so, yeah, that's I think that's what this will always be for me is it's the one that gets stuck in my head. Oh. But I did agree with one of the things that Jess said in this that I didn't get the chance to mention in the first recording. And that is that it really is, like I had mentioned in the first recording, it you think that it's going to be the cowboy spot on this album, but then it isn't because the music just completely changes. And like Jess said, it becomes like a 50s song. And that's right. It's like, like I mentioned, a swing song. It's like a 50s swing song, which is not what you're expecting when this song starts. Right. And I think one of the first years that it was released or recorded or something, what I mentioned when I went back, it was sometime in the early 50s, wasn't it? Oh, when it maybe. First come out? So maybe it's just kind of continued... You know, maybe they just kept that authentic sound to that song through it through the years and, and just changed it a little bit. But yeah, yeah that's what, that was what I, I just it is. It's like a swing song, which I just not a big yeah, fan. Just of. not you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So now let's go on to the last song on the album. Wolves. Oh, this is a real tearjerker of a song. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. surprised listening back. I'm not surprised that Jess found herself emotionally affected by this song. And she's thinking maybe that's why she didn't go back and listen to it a lot. And I mentioned in the original recording how cool that story was that Jess talked about, about Stephanie Davis's how she bought the land near where her grandparents had lived. And that was true. I did find that story so touching. But listening, re-listening to the podcast this time, I found that I... I was almost as touched by a different story, and that was Stephanie Davis's boyfriend taking this song out of the trash Yes, when Stephanie thought it wasn't something Nashville was looking for. Like, that is just amazing. And so then to think she had felt like this wasn't a good enough song, she threw it away. Her boyfriend took it out of the trash. And then Garth Brooks ends up recording it and putting it on one of his albums. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. It went from the trash to a phone call late at night from Garth saying, hey, Steph, we're finished with the song. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. The song itself, like I mentioned, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like super emotional to me, like listening to it. I think going back and listening to the pointers of the research that you and Jess had done about the story behind it. With Stephanie buying that piece of property next to her grandparents in Montana, you know how all that goes. Definitely after the review of it from before and listening to the song afterwards, it is definitely more emotional to me now. But you're right. From the birth of that song to being pulled out of the trash can to the end of it, it goes through a very, very high emotional roller coaster, right? You know, you're here, you're here, and then at the end of the story, it all working out. So, the end of the song, it all works out in the end of the story. So I yeah. thought, yeah, so good. Very good song. I yeah. really like it a lot. Some of these ones, like Wolves in particular, we talk about not coming off as a single. I wonder if they were re- like re-released now. Like, I wonder what these songs would do in today's time with, you know, going up against what what is country these days. Like, if you take a country song like this and release it today, like, what could this song do? Yeah, that would be interesting to see. If Garth re-released some of his songs that he's never released as singles before, how they would fare in today's market. Yep, absolutely. Like I took one off of the review that we did and uh, the other, uh, the previous episodes to this. And now, like if I was to take one off of each of these two episodes, I'd have to say Burning Bridges and Wolves. Release those songs today and see what they could do in today's Billboard you know, the way that uh, up against today's country. Yes. Those would be two great songs. Or Garth and Trisha duetting victim oh, yeah. of the game. <laughs> right. Well, that's in the duet version. I was going to get there. You didn't give me time. We got to get to the duet genre. Okay. Yeah. But we, yeah, victim of the game. Actually, we, you know, that's the thing, right? You put two of these and then you go with shallow a victim of the game. Let's do it. Garth needs to re-record a bunch of the songs that he never released as singles, including in Lonesome Dove. Just oh. saying. 
and Just then put, right just put a whole album yeah. together of re-records some of the duets that he and Trisha should have done and haven't yet including victim of the game and then yeah. release a whole album just like that. Just do the whole thing. Yeah. You know, listen, I am sure that there's nothing wrong with the people that are advising Garth on what he should do with his career. But I'm telling you, Garthology, us with Jess, we could change this man's life. <laughs> we could change the future. <laughs> yeah. Just give us the chance. Just give us the chance. Because he needs our help. <laughs> He's right. not doing so well on his own, right? Only the number one call? selling solo artist of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you guys think I've done wrong? <laughs> Listen, we don't think you've done anything wrong. We're looking to the future, sir. Uh, that'd, be a, that'd be a funny combo. But yeah, that song, uh, Wolves, was, man, it's such a good it's song. It's a good song. But very emotional. Yep. Okay, guys, that wraps up our updated discussion of the last five songs on Garth's second album, No Fences. Now let's go over to Pete for a shout out to one of our very favorite Garthologists. Adam Legler, we've shouted you out before, and I am sure this will not be the last. Sir, you have always interacted with us on our socials and supported us 100% through and through. We really do appreciate you taking the time, and we thank you. Yes, we do. Thank you, Adam, so much. You're a great dude. Have you checked out our website at Garthology.com yet? If not, stop by and leave us a comment on our blog page. You can even submit a show idea. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the website. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Do you listen on Apple Podcasts? If so, stop by there now and give us a rating and write up a quick review just to let us know how we're doing. Are you in a Garth Brooks fan page on Facebook? If so, don't forget to share us with your group by posting about us or sharing one of our posts there. Help your friends in low places become Garthologists too. Yes, and talking about those friends in low places, if you guys are on social media and you use Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com backslash Garthologycast. If you guys are on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us there at Garthologycast as well. Also, while you're there, if you could like, share, tweet, retweet, and or just interact with us. We really do appreciate the support and the interaction from you friends of ours. This has been Season 2, Episode 14 of Garthology, and I'm Deb. I'm Pete. And Jess, we miss you so much, and we can't wait to record with you again soon. Soon, friend. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. That dog dead. <laughs> I know, right? He I heard did. this weird pop his noise. Eyes, it's all. So did I. Oh, what was that? Well, and I looked over. My couch is wet, and his eyes were open. It looked like shit. he was breathing. So I was uh, like, yeah. "What happened?" Ay, ay, ay. You look back, and you're like looking at him, like, "Move, brother!" <laughs> like, is he breathing? And you did the whole snap thing, and he was just like, "Ah, oh, he moved." I swear, his eyes were open, and he was asleep. That Man, was that freaky. was weird. <laughs>